Kichi, Kichi, Chibran Kondo, Alliance, Shoot to Kill, Hamaza, Kill the Poor, the Farmer, Kill the Poor, the Farmer, Brr, Pa, Pa, Brr, Pa, Pa, Attention. Julius Malema versus Elon Musk was not the social media war we were expecting in 2023. But what does their debate about the Dubulibunu chant and the wider debate that it sparked mean? How can we have a calm conversation about freedom of expression in relation to liberation songs and also the very serious violence and crime that happens in South Africa? Let's explore that and analyze this in this episode. Ayeye. Okay, so if you've been living under a rock on X, which used to be Twitter, Julius Malema and Elon Musk recently had uh, a fallout a debate, is probably to put it mildly, about the decision to sing the Dubulibunu chant at the EFF's 10th anniversary rally. Um, a person on Twitter put a clip of this and Elon Musk in a comment to that, effectively suggested that this, the singing of that chant or the chanting of that chant in democratic South Africa was tantamount to calling for what he called genocide against white South Africans. And he asked Cyril Ramaphosa why he was silent on this, basically CCing a whole president of a country. There was various stuff that happened after that, Julius Malema, didn't take kindly to the tweets and basically insulted Elon Musk saying he didn't know what he was talking about and a whole bunch of stuff stuff happened from there. I'm not really particularly interested in the way the X battle unfolded but rather about the way that this has created a debate which is an important debate in South Africa about the limits of freedom of speech, the extent to which people can use struggle and liberation rhetoric and art and the very serious questions about crime and violence in our country. So can we have a calm conversation about this? Because I think one of the things we fail to do in South Africa, there's a lot going on in our country. Tempers are at an all-time high. Inequality is rife and just Life is tough for many people, and, and that's a very dangerous situation for a society to find itself in. But I still believe we can have calm and reasonable conversations about the very difficult issues which we face. And what I hope to do with this is, is have a conversation about this debate. I have a perspective on it. It may not be you know, the right perspective, but I have a view. Feel free to comment down below with your view and let's get into this question because I ultimately think that Elon Musk is, is dead wrong on this. And I know what everyone, not everyone, but lots of people are gonna say, oh, this channel is an EFF propaganda channel just because my father happens to be connected to the EFF. I agree with everything the EFF says. That's not true. 
Um, I've said many times I'm not a member of any political party. People just don't believe it or, or, or jump to whatever conclusions, and I've made peace with that a long time ago. But I'm not a member of any political party. I have political views. Sometimes I agree with the EFF. Sometimes I agree with the ANC. Sometimes I agree with the DA. Sometimes all three of them say the same things. And one thing I'm not going to do is stop having an opinion because people assume that my opinion is connected to some nefarious, unspecified political agenda. Read my work if you really want to know what my opinion is, and you'll be very uh, interested to see that my opinions are very different from what many people assume they are. But all that and all the preliminaries out of the way, I want to break this video down into three sections because I think this question about struggle chants, the question about violence and incitement, and the question of free speech need to be looked at in various perspectives. So the first one is Elon Musk's claim that this is tantamount to a call to genocide. And I think we need to have a look at that statement because it's loaded, it's wild, it's rash, and I think it's ultimately false. Secondly, I'm going to look at the question of whether the Dubulibunu chant is actually a form of hate speech and whether the intention behind singing it is aligned with a kind of hate speech intention. This is one of the key tests for hate speech in various jurisdictions around the world. Is the intention to incite violence, is the intention to create a violent outcome? And I think the answer is no. And then finally, I'm going to look at, is, the, is this a question of freedom of expression? Or should the freedom of expression be limited here? And I'm going to say that I think Tubulibunu, the chant, is a form of freedom of expression. That doesn't mean that I think it's always wise to sing it in every context, in every place. But my question is, should it be banned legally? And I don't think, I don't think it should. Um, I don't think it's always wise to sing it, but we can talk about the contexts in which I think it's appropriate. But a blanket ban, I think, would be draconian and impractical. So that's what I'm going to say in this video. Stick around as we analyze each of these arguments. But what I will also just say before we get started just to couch this analysis is that Elon Musk may well have done amazing things. And I think there's a lot to admire about what he's achieved with SpaceX, with Tesla. Um, you know, he's clearly an excellent business person. Um, so this is not an attempt to discredit Elon Musk either. Um, but I think there's also a danger in thinking that because you've mastered one domain of entrepreneurship, that your opinion carries equal weight in a different domain, uh, i.e. socio-political analysis in South Africa. And unfortunately, I think, as you'll see as this video unfolds, um, I think Elon Musk's social and political analysis of South African dynamics is uh, inversely proportional to his entrepreneurial ability. So let's get into it and let's start with part one. Okay, so I think the first thing that 
really struck me about Elon Musk's tweet is that he connected the debate about uh, the Dubulibunu chant, let's call it the song from here on in, um, to the other narrative about so-called white genocide in South Africa. And so he said that singing the song is effectively an incitement, not just to violence, which would be bad enough, but to genocide. Genocide is the widespread mass killing of people based solely on their identity. And I think the first thing to say about this is this is actually a really old debate in South Africa. It's been debunked a number of times. But one should first enter a caveat that there is serious violent crime in South Africa. And white South Africans are often just as black South Africans, colored South Africans, Indian South Africans are often on the receiving end of heinous, senseless, violent crime. And I, I don't think anyone in their right mind would condone the kind of senseless, violent crime. We've all probably been connected to people who have been on the receiving end of violent crime. We've all, as South Africans, probably lost people because of violent crime. So I don't think anyone should condone violent crime, and I don't want to be confused when I say that there's no genocide on white people in South Africa for condoning the tragic, horrendous, and uh, quite simply despicable crime that many white South Africans have been on the receiving end of. But the question is whether there's a concerted conspiratorial attempt on the part of black South Africans to target white South Africans because they are white and to kill them for that reason. That's what genocide means. Genocide is a very specific act. It's a very specific crime. It's when one group of people targets another group of people and kills them because of their identity. So what Elon Musk is saying is that there is, that there is a, a coordinated campaign by black South Africans to kill white South Africans or there's an attempt to incite black South Africans to kill white South Africans because they are white. And I think that's a really irresponsible thing to say in a country like South Africa with South Africa's history of, of racial violence, of apartheid, which Elon Musk should know, should know about. And it's the kind of monumental claim that you need to back up with monumental evidence. You can't just throw things around like that and not have facts to back it up. Now, in my book, The New Apartheid, cheeky plug, um, but hey, when you write things, you might as well tell people about them. Um, there's a really interesting section, and I want to big up a scholar and an author who I cite copiously, Nehama Brody who wrote a brilliant book called Farm Killings in South Africa about this idea of genocide uh, of white people on farms. And, you know, you should definitely read Nehama Brody's book, Farm Killings in South Africa. But to crystallize um, some of what's said, and I quote, to be sure, extreme and unconscionable violence occurs on commercial farms the vast majority of which are white-owned. 
but the deductive leap from this reality to a genocidal conspiracy strains the bounds of credulity, and I might add affronts real victims of genocide. And then we need to look you know, into some of the, the facts of this, and here I, I quote um, Gregory Brietzka, a scholar who's looked into crime in South Africa, and he finds, and I quote, there are dramatic differences in people's experiences of crime depending on their race in South Africa. In Tswane, where he did a study, about 58% of violent crimes affect black African neighborhoods, as opposed to 29% in racially mixed neighborhoods and 13% in white neighborhoods. So a scholar went into a representative place in South Africa where there are lots of different races. Guess what he actually found? There's more violent crime in black neighborhoods. Black people are the disproportionate victims of violent crime. And it's less in mixed neighborhoods and even less in white neighborhoods. So if there's a genocidal conspiracy in South Africa, then why uh, to, to target white South Africans, then why in cities where everyone lives are black South Africans the disproportionate victims of violent crime? Because for a very simple reason, South Africa has a violent crime problem, not a genocidal problem. And so when you look at the farm murder question, you have to include a vital piece of context, which is who owns commercial agricultural farms in South Africa? And what you see because of South Africa's history of racial dispossession on land and continued economic inequality is that the vast disproportion of commercial agricultural farms in South Africa are owned by white people. And so when violent crime happens on those farms, the disproportionate number of people who are the victims of violent crime are white South Africans. That doesn't mean the violent crime is condonable, but it also doesn't mean that those who are perpetrating the crime have some genocidal racial motive in mind. And so I think we really need to just everyone back off this idea that there is some kind of racial war going on in South Africa, when in actual fact, we are all the victims of this violent crime. And pretending that some victims, you know, are, are, on, are, are victims of genocide, whereas other victims are just, well, who knows, just unfortunate, that's, that's unfair. Everyone is a victim of crime in South Africa and sectioning out one group of people as if they are part of some genocidal narrative actually detracts not only from questions of genocide and really detracts from the true victims of genocide uh, in the world who, who have very serious, deep, traumatic wounds, but it also detracts from the seriousness of crime and divides people unnecessarily. So I think this idea that Musk is, is resting on, that there's some kind of genocide or a call to genocide in South Africa is just flat false and should be disregarded. So let's come on to the second question, which is the singing of the song. Is it, is it irresponsible? Is there actually an intention to incite people to violence because it's a serious question and let's address it.
when you look at whether something is hate speech, one of the key questions is the intent behind it. So there's an interesting scholar of, of hate speech, Jeremy Waldron, Professor Jeremy Waldron, who's based at Oxford, who asks, where is the hate in hate speech? There are two ways of looking at it. You could have hate in your heart and really try or, or, or have a, a hateful view and say something that really expresses your hatred. But that's not normally the way we use hate speech. When we talk about hate speech, what we're really often referring to is when one group, when someone says something that, that incites or encourages one group to perpetrate acts of violence against another group, often a vulnerable group in society, and that there's a likely link between what is said and that there's an intention when you say what you say to actually cause violence. So hate speech is when you want to cause violence and you say something that causes violence, usually based on one group trying to affect another group. And the argument, which is a serious argument and rational people can disagree, is that the singing of the song, because of the literal meaning of the lyrics, um, kill the Boer, Dubulibunu, is, is a form of hate speech because there's a likely connection between inciting one group of people to commit violence against another. But that argument rests on ignoring like decades and decades of history, removing the song from its proper context and assuming a literal meaning, not only on the part of the person expressing the song, but also on the part of the person receiving the song. And I would argue that the historical context contradicts this idea that it's hate speech. The intention of the people singing the song can be clearly demonstrated not to be inciting violence against another group. And also, the people listening to the song, millions and millions of South Africans who have at some point in their lives heard that song, are not receiving it with the intention to commit violence either. And so when we consider that context I think it's very difficult to mount the argument that there is an intention to create violence in the singing of that song. Is the song provocative? Is it um, on the outer edge of freedom of expression? Yes, and that's why I don't think it should be sung in every single context in all times. But do I think that there are specific contexts in which the song can and should be protected to be sung? Yes. I do, for the very reason that when people sing that song, what they're really usually doing, and the way that I think most sane people interpret it, is it's an attempt to hearken back to a period of struggle against racial injustice in South Africa. Remember, even historically, it's, it's fascinating, South Africa's liberation struggle wasn't a particularly violent struggle from the perspective of the liberation movement, yes, People did die. Yes, there were moments of, uh, of war. But really, the ANC prepared for war. Um, watch my interview with, with Professor Stephen Chan, who's a scholar uh, with deep knowledge of liberation movements. Many people have said this. Even during apartheid, black South Africans were not particularly violent. Even MK, 
in terms of coming into South Africa and, and, and an actual war, that never really materialized. But what people are doing when they sing the song in the present is they are trying to remind themselves of a period when there was apartheid in South Africa, there was a liberation movement that was committed to ridding itself of racial inequality and apartheid, which was perpetrated by white South Africans. And that's pretty much how I think most people understand the intention of the song. It's, it's to connect back with an era of just liberation struggle. And quite frankly, pretty much everyone agrees that the struggle against apartheid was a just struggle because of the intense evil and inequity of apartheid. So that's what people are trying to do. They're trying to connect themselves back to that history of a purposeful struggle against deep racial oppression. What are people who listen to the song thinking? They're thinking that. I really don't think they're thinking, oh, this is an instruction to go out and perpetrate violence. If they were, I mean, how many black South Africans have heard that song? And as far as I'm aware, I'm, I'm not aware of one case, let alone of murder, of violence driven by the song. So if that argument is true, we would have expected to see much more violence. What's behind black South Africans' restraint if the song is really inciting them? Because black South Africans don't have a murderous, violent agenda. In fact, if you look at South African history, the thing that stands out is how peaceful black South Africans have been despite their oppression, inequality, uh, and, and being violently attacked in many cases and dispossessed. So what accounts for, for this massive piece of evidence of, of black people not being violent? Well, it's that they see the song and it's artistic context and its historical context. Now, there is a remaining question about the literal meaning of the words. And the literal meaning of the words are violent. There's no doubt about that. The song comes out of war. It comes out of a violent struggle, um, uh, context of, of, of apartheid and MK and, and other liberation armies, you know, readying themselves at least for the prospect of violence. There's no doubt about that. But do we take songs literally? Do we take art, even if it's political art, literally? Because if we do, then Twinkle Twinkle Little Star is really a song about stars being small in the sky. And we know that stars are not small. But Twinkle Twinkle Little Star is just a figurative way of talking about the way that stars appear. If we're really going to be literalists about everything, then you must never say you're going to kill two birds with one stone again, because it means you have a violent genocidal intent towards birds and the avian uh, category of, of animals. We actually use violent language figuratively all the time, but because that violent language is, is taken out of its original context into a new context that everyone understands, 
that violent language becomes figurative and plays an artistic, maybe a rhetorical role, but not a literal role. We talk about how one team smashed another team. It doesn't mean they actually smashed them, right? Smash is a very violent word, but it's clear that it's not in the context that it's used. I, 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 I defy you to look at the top 10 songs everywhere right now. I defy you to look at the top 10 movies that are out right now. Let's talk about real cultural impact and, and influence. I defy you to watch any YouTube channel and not see figurative language, which if interpreted literally would be a call to serious violence. So in the absence of someone explaining how people are actually taking the song literally and connecting the data which connects the song to a widespread literal interpretation, what you're really just doing is you're saying that these words literally mean a bad thing, but not explaining how they're actually being used in context. And in language, in art, in politics, context is king. And you can't remove words from their context for a narrow agenda of division and racial selectivity. So let's go on to the third point. The third point is about freedom of expression. And I find Elon Musk's position on this very bizarre because one of the things he has promised with X, which used to be Twitter, is that he's going to make it a platform for free expression that he's going to allow people to say what they want to say and he's going to place less restrictions on speech. But suddenly when he and his identity feels under threat, he turns into a totalitarian who wants to ban things and he runs to presidents and says that they must say something. So how can you, on the one hand, proclaim to be uh, a paragon of free speech rights and signal the virtue of your free speech credentials, but on the other hand, claim that a mere song is somehow an incitement to mass violence. You really can't have it both ways. Either you appreciate the importance of free speech, or you believe that speech should be restricted in all contexts, but you can't be both at the same time. And I think that's the inherent contradiction in Elon Musk's position in this instance. So why do I think that this is an example of freedom of expression? Well, I think that freedom of expression has often been hijacked, and I don't mean that literally, by conservative people who want to be able to say racist things and hide behind the cloak of freedom of expression. But when the shoe is on the other foot and the victims of racial injustice want to express themselves freely, then they abandon their free speech mantra and suddenly it's all about violence. I believe in societies like South Africa and the United States for that matter, where there has been a long documented evidence-based, scientifically proven history 
of racial violence, racial inequality, and racial subjugation through apartheid and slavery and their off respective aftermaths. I believe that people from within those groups should be afforded a wide range of expression to express their frustrations in peaceful, verbal ways. Those might be very robust ways, but I would much prefer a society in which people sing songs in a political context to express themselves and their frustrations at inequality than actually acting, acting out those frustrations in, in inappropriate or violent ways. I actually think that free expression is a valve to extinguish some of the real tensions which may bubble up in a society if that expression is constrained. And I truly believe that black South Africans of all people in the world deserve to be able to express themselves freely about racial injustice. So an attempt to ban the song, in my view, would be not only wrong for the various principled reasons I've said, but also counterproductive, because I think it would actually form an example of constraining the free expression of black South Africans who have a lot to express, a lot to express, and they should be allowed to do so freely within the bounds of of the law. And we know there's been a long legal interrogation of this question uh, by Judge Molasehi in the Equality Court, and he came out on exactly the side that I'm advocating for here. So, I think for reasons of free expression, I think because of the clear intention and the symbolic and uh, figurative meaning of the song in its rhetorical, political, and historical context, and because the idea of, of a genocide in South Africa against white people is complete nonsense, for those reasons, I think that Elon Musk is completely wrong about the song and should recant his views. Now, I want to end with some qualifications and some further thoughts, because what I will accept is that I don't think the song under discussion should be sung and chanted everywhere and at all times. So I don't, like, I've never actually sung the song myself. I've never been in a place where, where, where I would sing, sing the song. Um, nor would I just go around and, like, to every random white person and start singing the song. Like, that... Who, why would I do that? Like, there's absolutely no reason to do that. I think there, there are times when it's unwise to sing a song like that and that people should be um, appreciative of, of the sensitivity that, yeah, white South Africans feel when they hear the song. So I'm not calling for it to be sung always and everywhere. What I'm saying is I don't think it should be banned legally. And I think there are contexts in which people should be free to sing the song. What are those contexts and, and, and chant the song? Educational contexts, clearly. I mean, that's obvious. 
videos like this where you're having public debate about the question, which actually serves to deepen our understanding and the debate and the, and the different sides can, can come together and, and people can make up their own minds. But I also believe in appropriate political contexts where it's clear that this is an attempt to trace back a political lineage and a, and a political history, which is exactly why political rallies are the kinds of place where one would expect to see the song and people to, to hear it in context. By the way, the EFF is not the only party that sings the song or the only group of people. So political rallies, I think, are the kind of place where you can put that song in historical context because you either have a liberation movement or maybe parties that draw their history from being part of a liberation movement and splintering away from it, where singing that song is clear in its political and historical context. And, and as I say, the EFF is not the only party or group of people who sings the song. In fact, this is a song that comes out of liberation traditions that far precede the EFF. So, for example, uh, there are similar songs using similar words um, sung by the ANC. And ANC veterans at some of their gatherings will sing the song in the political context to say we are veterans of the ANC, of the liberation struggle, of MK, and we're singing these songs to, to recall that time and, and redouble our efforts to equality and racial justice in South Africa. But what we can't do is say that everyone can sing the song or only ANC people can sing the song, but we don't like it when EFF people do it. So for me, political rallies are actually the appropriate or an appropriate venue in certain contexts for that song to be sung as well. And I think that still falls within freedom of speech and freedom of expression. But do I believe everyone should go around singing the song whenever they want to? No, nor do I think that anyone wants to even do that. Like, like that would just be strange and unwise and maybe even foolhardy. But do I think we should ban the song? No, I think in appropriate political contexts, in educational contexts, in, in debate contexts, in, in venues where it's very clear what the context of the song is, I really, I really fail to see what the, the hysteria about a song really is. And, and I say this again, appreciating the full extent of violent crime in South Africa and its seriousness. But I don't think we must be sidetracked and, and, and get hysterical about songs when we, we have a, a state and a government that's failing to address violent crime, when we, when we need to get the police and the NPA and the criminal justice system to handle violent crime in South Africa, which affects everyone of all races, when we need to get serious about crime. I think there are real conversations to be had about violent crime, about the way violent crime affects everyone in South Africa, from townships to informal settlements, yes, to commercial farms, to, to rich suburbs in Cape Town, to middle-class places in the free state. Everyone is, is a victim of violent crime, and that's not to be trivialized. But then to try and divert the debate into that the song is creating the crime, when the crime is there, when the song is not sung, it's there when it's sung, and there's just no causal nexus between the two, is, I think, an attempt to divert and divide.
So is everything that Julius Malema says wise, good, and do I agree with it? No. Read my books. See where I disagree with the EFF, Julius Malema. Watch my interview on SABC, which I did with Julius Malema, which is probably one of the toughest interviews that's been had with Julius Malema, where I asked him if he was a flip-flopper who just blew with the wind. Um, so I, I'm really not even interested in this debate about whether I always agree with the EFF, because those who are, who are wise enough to, to read and know, know that my opinions are my own, and I'm, I'm not going to apologize for them, but no one tells me what to say or think, which is a form of freedom of expression. But I do believe we need to just have a calm debate about this in South Africa. Um, I appreciate people have different views, that mine isn't the only one, and maybe you disagree down below. Let's disagree in a productive way, because I still believe that media, social media, tends to divide more than it unites. But I still think there are many people in this country who just want to have these conversations in a productive way. And I still believe there's space to do that. And so I will also say, just if you're taking clips from this, because I know that, that these videos are getting more and more viral on social media, please also give people the full link to this video, because it's very easy in these debates to clip two seconds out of context and, and then try and drive some weird, wacky narrative of your own. Please bring people back to the full conversation, because you can only understand these comments in the context of my wider argument. And I don't want people to try and use this to fuel the polarized, crazy South African social media space as it is. But I really hope that this has given you some food for thought. I really hope that at least we've been able to sit back and have a conversation about this. And I hope it's contributed productively to the debate. Comment down below. Let me know your thoughts about this question. Was Elon Musk right? Was Julius Malema right? But more importantly, where does the song fit in South Africa? Should it be sung? If so, in what contexts? And do you believe that the courts in South Africa so far have struck the right balance? Ayeye, spread the fire, like, share, comment, subscribe, and let's keep building this into one of the most important platforms for conversation in South Africa's political landscape. See you on the next one. Ayeye.